The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. To the Astros Baseball Podcast. I am so excited about our guest today, but before I get to that, I want to uh, tell you guys about our giveaway. We're giving away a shirt from Ram Shirts and a dugout mug, and those bad boys are like $75, which is to me a chunk of change. Like I said, it's a, it's a down economy in a pandemic, so a $75 unique mug. You'll be the only person with this. Email the phrase, let's go to Astros Baseball Podcast at gmail.com, and you will be entered to win. Our guest today is Alex Fast. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's, I'm very happy to be here. Of course, Carson. Thank you for agreeing to come on. So uh, let's just dive right in. Um, tell me, uh, I want to start off because you're, you're a very fascinating person who has just an extremely impressive body of work um what would you mind uh, starting off you know telling me you know where were you where were you born kind of like your story and maybe your uh, baseball origin story who you got in like who got you into it yeah yeah sure so so i was born in uh columbia maryland which is like right in between baltimore and dc uh and as i was growing up it was hard not to kind of be an orioles fan right because when i was a kid it was i'm 30 gonna be 33 this year i'm 32 now uh i completely forgot after 30 it just all becomes a blur um I grew up, you know, with Cal Ripken, and it was hard not to be an Orioles fan as a result of that. And then, of course, after Cal Ripken retired, there were kind of many years where the Orioles weren't doing great. Uh, as I'm sure you're familiar with as an Astros fan, they also went through many years of slides. Fortunately, the Orioles was a little bit more prolonged. Um, and I still followed the team, you know, as they got like Sammy Sosa and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and like Albert Bell. Like they got all these old aging stars to try and keep the fan base interested in. But at that point, I was like more of like a, a Ravens fan. I my best friend's dad um, was a huge, huge, huge Yankees fan, which made me hate them all the more, but loved the sport even more. But it was something that I, you know, kind of kept on my periphery, like watch a few games now and then. And then there was a time. I went to uh, NYU for theater, and I was pursuing acting for a really, really long time. Um, but while I was in living in New York, um, there was like a game. I think it was, you know, in the early 2010s. I'm so bad with dates right now. Uh, but there was a game where um, it was at the end of the year. And it was like the craziest day in baseball history where there were like six or seven teams that could have made the playoffs and the Yankees were playing the Rays and the Orioles were playing the Red Sox. And it was the last game of the season. And there was the, they call it like the curse of the Andino. Robert Andino got this hit and he eliminated the Red Sox. And at the same time, the Rays came back and beat the Yankees. And it was at that moment my like fandom went from like a guy who was a pretty casual fan to just like this is just the best sport in the world. Um, I started writing about fantasy baseball right around that time as well. Um, got a 
a little disillusioned with the acting industry and went to grad school for tech where I started you know, applying all the things that I was learning about augmented reality and virtual reality and coding into baseball. Um, I, I just like fell in love with it. And I, you know, that, that passion that I had as a little kid was just like really rekindled. Um, started applying everything I could to baseball, making projects about baseball. Um, I ended up going to a talk with someone who worked at MLB and uh, showed them some of the work that I was doing. And he agreed to let me come on in a uh, QA role for the gaming department at Major League Baseball, which was like an incredible honor. I ended up winning this hackathon about baseball, um, and and that allowed me to get like a full time job at MLB. And at the same time, I was um, kind of uh, working at PitcherList. I had met Nick Pollock, who's the founder and CEO of PitcherList. Um, and I started writing about prospects and then kind of said, you know, hey, maybe we should do a podcast together. And then that was about four or four or five years ago. And we've kind of been going ever since. So, yeah, I don't I think I don't think there, you know, probably just like you, I don't think there's been a time in the past five years at which baseball has not been something I have thought about at least once a day, like regardless of the time, regardless of, you know, what day it is, what season it is. It's just been sadly on my mind every day for quite some time now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sadly, no. Baseball's <laughs> the best. I agree with you. It is, um, yeah, it's just, it's like, yeah, eat, sleep, and breathe it. It's, mm. and I, at first I was like, oh man, maybe I'm too into it, but there's no such thing as being too into baseball. Um, so, uh, you mentioned the pitchers list. Uh, would you mind kind of like walking us through the pitchers list or walking the listeners through the pitchers list or, I don't know, me through it? Um, because when I was yeah. looking, uh, look, I was looking into it, look, um, and pardon me, well, the hiccup. Um, you also mentioned uh, through my research, uh, you know, doing stat test metrics uh, for the RBI baseball game, and you look for new met- uh, uh identify new metrics. Like within the game of baseball, so we talk about the pitch assist and some of those new metrics. Yeah, totally, man. You you really did your research. Uh, yeah, so I. I joined PitcherList. PitcherList is a company that started by Nick Pollock probably like six or seven years ago, and it was originally just a Twitter account that made GIFs of pitchers, like the best strikeouts there were. Nick just kind of went out there and did essentially what what Pitching Ninja Rob Friedman uh, is doing a couple years ago as well, um, just making as many GIFs as possible, and that turned excuse me, into this big, uh, originally fantasy baseball website where we were trying to help people win their fantasy baseball leagues. And then that evolved into this even bigger thing where it's fantasy baseball and it's regular baseball. It's the culture of baseball. It's all the things that makes baseball fun. It's all the things we love about baseball, the things that we wish baseball would change. It's just evolved into this huge, huge baseball website. And one of the, uh, one of the things that we're trying to do, or at least a, a mission statement that we really, really believe firmly in is... We want to be able to help break down the modern game for fans who either maybe don't think that sabermetrics are um, valuable or maybe they are a little bit standoffish about them or maybe they're just looking for a place to understand them without being, you know, uh, talked down to. I think sometimes when when people run into things that are a little bit unfamiliar to them, they're like, Ugh, I don't really want to understand this because it's just too much. We want to make that information presentable. And what I do at, um, in, at my job at MLB is try and take those metrics, a lot of StatCast metrics, um, you know, like um, WOBA, 
like uh, weighted on base average or weighted on base average on contact, Wobicon or hard hit rate or barrel rate um, or, you know, for the pitching side, you know, like spin rates and spin efficiency. I take all those statistics and I turn them into um, ratings for our RBI baseball game, uh, which is out on all these different consoles. Um, and I, my job is entirely back end in the database, like making sure every week there's a new roster update with, you know, that best reflects what the actual teams are doing. But so a, a majority of my day, be it at PitcherList or um, with my job at MLB, is really spent on baseball savant really just feeling like an idiot. Like a majority of my day is me feeling like an idiot because there's so many metrics, right? There's just so many metrics and there's, it feels like every day there's a new metric. That's a way to quantify the game. So I, I just try and make it my goal to just learn as much about them as possible. So hopefully I can be a conduit for other people to learn about this, you know, very exciting new way of looking at the game. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, when I first came across your account, like I, like I, I don't even remember how I came across your account on Twitter, but like, like I, there was one day where I just spent like a whole day kind of going through like the tweets that you had put out and then checking out the pictures list and just kind of going through stuff. And this is even before um, I became co-host of the podcast. But yeah, you just it's, it's endlessly fascinating. Um, what are some of the new or like? Uh, what are some of the new metrics uh, that you have um, that you have kind of uh, that you have developed recently? Oh yeah, so I, th there there was a big one that um, Nick uh, originally came up with, and then I ideated upon uh, called CSW, and that's one that we're really really proud of, and we've been it's been crazy to kind of watch it grow in the fantasy community, and now it's actually something that Baseball Savant features on their game feed, which is really exciting. And what CSW is is really really simple. It's called strikes plus whiffs over total pitches it's like obviously like k rate you know how many you know the percentage of strikeouts that a pitcher is getting or swinging strike rate the percentage of how many swinging strikes they're getting is a really important metric to look at when you're talking about pitching but we figured that the called strike was not given enough credence and as a result pitchers who relied a lot on called strikes you know maybe like a dallas keichel maybe like a um uh, you, uh, you were obviously proficient with him when he was uh, an Astro and was crushing it when he was there, or a guy like Kyle Hendricks. Those guys don't ne necessarily get enough attention because they aren't these huge swing and miss guys. So CSW, what it does is it says, okay, who's really getting ahead, right? Be it by called strike or by whiff. It's another way, in my mind, of uh, quantifying the game, and it's a way to get more context about uh, when you look at a box score, right? Box scores are great to look at at the end of the day. They're a really quick way to figure out who did what. But the thing about the box score is it's been around for such a long time and it has not evolved with the sport, right? Bo current box scores don't give us the most context about how a player actually performed. Um, and what I like to do is look at CSW with a box score. Um, so 30% is about league average. And if I see that, you know, let's say Lance McCullers, who had um, a really, really good CSW last year, if Lance McCullers had an outing where, uh, you know, he went six and maybe he gave up five earned runs, you would see that in the box score and think, all right, probably wasn't his best day. But if you look closer and see that he has a 34% CSW, which is about 4% above league average, you might think that 
maybe this game was he got a little unlucky. Maybe four of those five earned runs came off of one pitch or maybe he had one batted ball that should have been an out but wasn't. What we've sort of found in our studies and as we were making this metric is that if a pitcher had a bad game, but his CSW, his called strikes plus whiff, was above league average, that usually means he's going to be okay moving forward. It takes about 10 starts before it can be really accurate, but it's just another way of looking at like, okay, he might have gotten hit around this game, but because his CSW was really, really good, that probably means uh, that he's going to be better in the future. And you know, one reason that we're so kind of enamored with these kind of stats, or at least I am personally, is like... As a fan, you know, I'm, I'm a big Baltimore Orioles fan. I want to have some insight or the best insight that I can into what my organization is doing. You know, I want to be able to say, OK, why did they bring this guy in so I can hold them accountable a little bit more? Because I think sometimes we think, you know, organizations are always going to do what's best. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they are a little antiquated in their thinking. So metrics like CSW, we think, can provide more context that helps fans uh, get to the bottom maybe of what a organization is thinking or or what actually might be a pitcher's real skill set? Now, I have learned that the organizations, like, yes, sure, that payroll was a factor, whatever the scandal might have been a factor, but, I mean, the Astros let Springer walk, and mm. if they let Correa walk, I will personally lead the charge in trying to burn down <laughs> Jim Crane's <laughs> office. I will ca- the Astros are worth catching a case over, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> like I said, super passionate about baseball. But um, so I know that I ask you a similar, I ask you a similar question on Twitter. But um, what are some of the key metrics? Uh, you know, what is the what does the process look like in evaluating the player's value and ability? And what are some of the key pieces of uh, data that go into determining something like that? What are the key metrics that like uh, that you know one should look at, or what are some key metrics that are currently used that are maybe like overvalued? Uh, or but what do you think, just down to its essence, what's uh, the best way to evaluate in terms of you know the data side of things? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, so for me, if I'm going to break down a let's start with a hitter. If I'm going to break down a hitter and figure out whether or not this person's really valuable, I'm not genuinely going to look at average that much and i know that there's two sides of the spectrum here i know a lot of people get upset with a lot of sabermetricians because they don't like average um and i think it's kind of a little bit too far average can serve a purpose batting average it's not like anyone is saying we should completely get rid of it i just don't think it is the most important metric when it comes to evaluating a a, a hitter i think something like woba or weighted on base average that shows time and time again to be a more valuable um, metric to look at when it comes to actual league uh, output or, or how well a, a player is performing. And then there's even like the thing about WOBA is you look at like, um, you know, Carlos Correa's WOBA in, in 2019 and you say that it's 380, right? And WOBA is a little bit difficult because like if I tell you that someone had a 300 batting average or, you know, Carlos Correa batted 315 in 2017, 300 is the benchmark, right? And it's like, okay, I understand 300 above 300, really good. If it's way below 300, it's probably not great. Um, and WOBA, it's a little bit trickier because you have to re um, like reimagine what the baseline is. There's another metric too that makes it much easier to figure that out. And that's W 
WRC plus, which is wins. Uh, oh, excuse me. Weighted runs created plus. And that's essentially 100 is league average. And everything above that is above league average. Everything below is below league average. And that's a really great way to see how a player is performing compared to the rest of the league. So like, for example, in 2019, Carlos Correa had a 143 WRC plus, and that means that he was 43% better than league average, right? And that's, that's super quick. I can look at that and say, okay, he's a good player. He was a really good player in 2019. He was 43% better than other players in the league. Those are two really quick metrics that you can look at to get a really good idea of how a player is performing. Another quick way that's like a really fun and simple way to do this um, that the baseball savant team and Darren Wilman are, are doing um, is if you go to any player's baseball savant page and you look up in the top right-hand corner, there's going to be a bunch of sliders uh, that indicate how good or bad a player has performed. The more red you're going to see, the the better they are generally. And the, the reason I love that is because one thing that I think baseball data really needs to do a better job of doing is becoming a bit more visual. Like you go to any single baseball page and it's just covered with numbers. Uh, and that isn't necessarily the most helpful. Sometimes people can look at all those numbers and just like it, it just washes over them. And I can completely understand that, especially when you don't know what you should be focusing on. But if you go to Carlos Correa's baseball savant page and let's say, you know, I'm going to ignore 2020 because it was such a crazy year. But if let's say if you're looking at his 2018 MLB percentile rankings, I can see really quickly where he was above league average, where he was below league average, where he had success and where he didn't have success. So they have a metric called outs above average, which is a way of uh, determining a player's defensive ability. I can see in 2018 that he was the 99th percentile in outs above average, and I can see he was the 83rd percentile in walk rate. And the fact that those are pretty dark red lets me know, okay, he was obviously extremely good there. And that gives me a really good idea. Okay, this is a guy who was extremely skilled defensive According to this page, he doesn't hit the ball super hard, but he does hit the ball well. He's also very fast and he's got a good eye because he's got a really high walk rate. And it's the exact same thing for a pitcher, right? If I was going to go to Lance McCullers page uh, from last year. I would see those exact same sliders if I went to Baseball Savant, and I would have a really good idea overall. Like, And remember, you don't even need to know the nitty-gritty of what each statistic perfectly means. But if I go to his page, I can see, okay, he was 61st percentile in hard hit rate, meaning that he was above league average. He was 11% above league average in how much hard contact he gave up. He has a really good curveball, as we all know, like one of the best curveballs in baseball. And he's got a really good whiff rate, meaning that he's going to be able to get a lot of swings and misses. So even if you don't have to understand, you don't have to understand the, you know, every single metric. If you just go to a baseball savant page and see how much red or blue there is, then you can get a really quick idea. Okay, this player's good or okay, this is where this player needs to improve. So um, you mentioned uh, WOBA and then you mentioned a few other stats. Will you break those down for us and like how they're figured? I understand that you uh, I know that you did just explain um, kind of like why, like how they uh, what are what good metrics are to look at, but what do those metrics actually mean? Yeah, sure. Great question. So for Wobo, we can start there. 
Um, so Wobo was created by like one of the fathers of sabermetrics, and I know it. It's like it's a weird kind of funny statistic, and it seems weird, but it's it's actually very very simple. It's based on like a really simple concept, which just says not every hit is created equal, right? Obviously, I'm gonna want a guy who hits more doubles and home runs than a guy who just hits singles, right? And that's the big problem with average. You know, let's say I come up to you and and I say, well. I, do you want a guy who's going to hit 500 singles or do you guy you want a guy who's going to hit 280 doubles and 100 home runs but 50 singles if you're looking at average those things are going to look very similar right but if i'm looking at weighted on base average or woba it's going to weight it's going to be it's a statistic that weights those hits a little bit differently so in a way it's almost like on base percentage uh which is also sort of similar to that but it kind of takes it a step further it's kind of like an evolved way of doing it so it essentially you know it, it's a very in-depth you know, calculation that I won't bore you all with, but it essentially says, okay, multiply singles by this, multiply, multiply doubles by this, multiply triples by this, and then double how much a home run is worth, and then it puts all that together, and then it gives you a really good idea of how good a, a player is. And if, you were, if anyone was curious, if they were looking at um, a, a, a player's page and they saw WOBA, league average is about 320. Right. So once again, if you saw a 320 average, you'd be like, oh, my God, this this dude's absolutely fantastic. If you see 320 Woba, it means he's about average. If you see about 340, he's pretty good. Uh, you see 370, he's great. And if you see 400, he's just absolutely fantastic. But if he's under 300, it's really, really poor. Uh, but yeah, so it, it kind of takes all these different metrics, adds them all together, um, and it spits out a, a more accurate number. And WRC plus... Uh, which was the other one they were thinking of uh, or that we hit on pretty briefly is is very similar um, in that it's trying to create a way to uh, get, you know, all of a player's offensive output and provide all the nuance there. What's really cool about WRC plus is it takes into account park factors which is really important so you obviously have the crawford boxes out in left field in 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 uh in houston do, do they still call it the juice box because i always called it the juice box when i was growing up do they still call it that yeah i even have a shirt that ha that's like uh it's like it has like a juice box on it and it's got like the old school like the rainbow uh jersey colors and it says the juice box is lit i mean mm. i still call it that sometimes um yeah, Minute Maid Park. Uh, it's usually Minute Maid Park, the juice box, or, um, you know, they abbreviated MMP. Uh, mm -hmm. But how would those kind of, how would those apply to Camden uh camden yards yeah it would be the same i mean like camden yards is is another super home run friendly park because of their i don't want to call it a short porch in right field but it's just a park that has a lot of home runs in it and and you know minute made is sort of the same way with those crawford boxes and left and also a sort of short porch in right field obviously once they got rid of the flagpole and center field which was like my was it towels hill that was like my favorite thing <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, actually, I, I, think it, love I loved it. Household. Yeah, yeah. it was awesome. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I don't think I've actually any, told anyone this, but like when the Orioles really stunk, my first Little League team was the Astros. So I was actually a big Astros fan when I was a kid. Like I loved obviously Lance Bergman, Jeff Bagwell, like all the old greats. Uh, and then I remember, I, I think the first time I was ever 
absolutely furious at a baseball game was when Brad Lidge gave up that home run in the NLCS to Albert Pujols. Uh, and I like I don't think I'd ever hated anyone more than I hated Brad Lidge uh, in that moment, uh, who I think ended up getting a ring with Philly. Anyway, anyway, I digress. WRC plus is is beneficial because it says each park is created differently, right? The output in Minute Made is going to be different than the output in, I don't know, San Diego or the output in Colorado. So it takes that into account. It bakes all that into a number and it gives us a more accurate value about how good a player is. Now, on the other side of things, you know, if I wanted to hit on two really quick um, uh, pitching metrics, uh, we can start with hard hit rate. So hard hit rate measures how many balls are hit above 95 miles an hour? If it's above 95 miles an hour, it's considered hard hit. And you obviously don't want that, right? Because the more exit velocity a pitch is going to have, the more likely it's going to do damage against a pitcher, right? Now, if you're a batter, you really want a hard hit rate that is high. But if you're a pitcher, you want the opposite. You want to minimize how much contact you're giving up. So hard hit rate says, okay, out of all the balls that got hit for a pitcher, how many of them were above 95 miles an hour? How many of them were below? And you want to be below. Um, the other one is pretty, uh, one that I like to rely on a lot is whiff percentage. So in order to understand whiff percentage, you have to understand swinging strike rate. Swinging strike rate is very, very simple. Of all the pitches that were thrown by a pitcher, how many were swung at, right? Obviously, you want a little bit higher. Swung and missed, I, sh I should say, excuse me, uh, swung and missed at. How many were swung and missed at? And you obviously want a higher rate, right? The more swinging strikes you're going to get, likely the better you're going to be. Whiff rate is very, very similar to swinging strike rate. So swinging strike rate says, okay, you threw 1,000 pitches and you got 600 you know, swings and misses or whatever, and that would be a 60% swinging strike rate, which is impossible. But, you know, it would more like 300 be more likely, but... I digress. Whiff rate changes the denominator and it says, okay, of all the pitches that were swung at, right? Of all the pitches that actually got, you got someone to swing at, how many did they swing and miss at? And very simply, the higher, the better, just like swinging strike rate of all the pitches that you threw and someone swung at, how many did they swing and miss at the higher, the better. So like Lance McCullers having that 70% whiff rate in 2020 was really, really good. Um, so those are, those are some uh, metrics that I'll rely on and hope, hopefully that was a, a sufficient way to break them down. No, it definitely was. So um, I think that my next kind of like set a question has to kind of pairs with the um, metrics because um, I wanted to ask you about like, uh, you know, when trying to determine uh you know, how much a player should be paid each year. Um, I know that they are people, so I don't like to talk about them like their numbers because they are like humans, uh, you know, with families. But um, what uh, metrics are heavily relied upon now when kind of trying to, det trying to set salary? And um, are there, in your opinion, are there some things that maybe the front office is overlooking? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I love also that you brought up that these are human beings because that's something I try and bring up all the time. Like these dudes have real emotions. They are very in love with this game and they want to play it for as long as possible. And they're the best in the world at it and they should be treated as such. Um, I think that ones usually I feel offensive output are the most pivotal 
when it comes to um, how front offices are paying teams. Now, front offices are there. The, the best thing about baseball is there is an unprecedented amount of public free information. Even with that said, there is so much information that is proprietary to a front office that we don't see. But I imagine that a lot when it comes to uh, value is based off offensive numbers. And I think WRC plus is a really important one because it's going to take a home park into account and it's going to say, okay, in this home park, this player was 50% above league average. Um, they're also going to look at age, obviously, because I think like peak age is like 27, 28. And then theoretically, we start to see some declines in terms of league averages uh, after that. So they're going to look at age. But to answer your question, I don't think defensive metrics may um, or at least public facing defensive metrics may not be taken into account quite as much. And that's solely because we don't really have perfect defensive metrics. Um, the baseball savant team, this is something that they're perpetually working on and they've done a fantastic job putting out outs above average and outfield directional outs above average and outfield jump and, you know, framing metrics. There's so many things, but we still don't have a perfect, perfect way from a statistics standpoint to figure out how good a player is defensively. This is where an eye test is really important. So, you know, I think like a player like Correa, who obviously pops a lot in many offensive ways, but also has areas in which he is lacking offensively. One way in which, you know, he might get paid is because of his defensive prowess, right? If he can stay healthy, he can be a top defensive shortstop in the game, according to some of his past metrics. So I think that's something that might not be taken into account enough and is something that even us as fans don't usually think about first. Um, but when you have a like, let's say you have a team, a, a, a rotation that is really, really about ground balls, right? Really about making sure the ball doesn't go into the air, wants to stay into the ground. If you don't have a above average infield or an above average shortstop and second base pair, they're going to get hurt. So if I'm an organization and I'm saying, OK, you know, uh, I don't think this is true of the Astros in particular, but just let's as an example, if Christian Javier and, you know, assuming Forrest Whitley can hopefully return one day and pitch after the second surgery or, you know, Jose or Keedy or Framber Valdez, let's say they're all ground ball pitchers. Um, I think Framber Valdez is I'm going to want a guy like Correa. And as a result, I'm going to want to pay him a little bit more because that's going to be a part of my game plan moving forward. Now, um, I know that you are talking about uh, Korea and the infield. Um, now I remember what I was going to ask. So you guys have obviously um, two of the member, two members of the Astros front office team are now in uh, Baltimore. So um, you know, Sig Meidel, that guy has he's just a whiz. He um, I'm endlessly impressed with how, how he's able to kind of um, go through and how he helped shape and uh, was a part of the team that drafted, that drafted, you know, what we see on the field today. What, um, what work have they been doing in Baltimore? How do you see, like, what, in what ways have, have you seen a pro positive trending progress? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I almost wept tears of joy when we got Sigmeidel and, 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 and Elias. I mean, like, I, 
it was just such a big change for us as an organization in terms of mentality. The biggest thing that they've done is they've brought the Orioles to the international market, which is something that the Orioles were always reticent to do and were always lagging behind on. And you're not going to be able to have success unless you are involved in the international market. Also, it is a uh, front office that, as you know, is extremely based on analytics. Um, and the Orioles did not used to be that. And it seems like those analytics are fueling uh, picks uh, in, in the draft, which is really, really exciting. I mean, when it came to Adley Rutschman, it wasn't too difficult. He was obviously the best player available, so we're going to take him. But you can just see that these pitchers are becoming more proficient in the language of sabermetrics. And some of the talks that I've had with them, they're a little more understanding of all of those kind of back-end numbers. And I think that really is as a result of the fantastic work that the front office is doing. I think they also understand the challenges of what it means to not have a extremely significant payroll and what it means to put a product on the field that isn't necessarily the best for this one year, but is building towards something. Um, you know, I, Astro Ball was such a fantastic book and it kind of goes into, you know, they were trying to save money for a long time and it you know they couldn't really tell anyone at the moment like it's gonna pay off uh but hindsight is 2020 and when you have alex bregman and carlos correa and george springer uh and then you know you have you get a dallas keichel it, it affords you the opportunity to be able to go out and get a Garrett Cole and a Justin Verlander and a Zach Greinke to be able to dominate for quite some time. And you can see that with the Orioles, right? They they are not they have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball right now. And I don't imagine that that's going to be the case in four or five years. But the young arms that they have in D.L. Hall and Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken and Grayson Rodriguez, these are really exciting names. So it, as as an Orioles fan. It's just, you know, it's nice to know that we can sort of trust a little bit more what the front office is doing. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of y'all's ballpark, number one. And um, I've been an Astros fan my entire life. I will always ride for the Astros in the city of Houston. Um, I've been keeping my eye on the Orioles. Um, I'm a fan of y'all's organization. Uh as far as um so when do you think you guys you'll you'll see um so i have two questions for you what are have been some of your favorite moments as an orioles fan to witness mm. and um in your best estimate what kind of time frame does uh will baltimore have until they become a you know a contender yeah, that's a great question. I'll start with the optimistic. The I, I've been very fortunate to go to some just awesome, uh, awesome Orioles games. I think the biggest one that comes to mind is in the playoffs against the Detroit Tigers game two of the ALDS uh, when Delman Young hit a double off of Joaquin Soria. Um, that was, you know, the go ahead run. We were down the whole game and then uh, we had one game one, but, you know, we wanted to go ahead and win the second game. And I remember being up in the, you know, in the nosebleeds on the first base side. And I I have never been in a louder place in my life. I mean, I was I was fortunate enough to watch the Ravens win the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And to this day, I have not been uh, 
<laughs> more shocked and in a place that was louder. Like you could feel, you could feel that stadium move and the, the, the energy, the how electric it all was, was just something that I will never forget and, until the day I die. Um, in terms of contention, I think the Orioles can start to be. I think the Orioles might be a team where this year is not going to be the year. Next year, at the end of next year, we might start to think like, okay, maybe the Orioles aren't as bad as we think they, that they are. Um, but then 2023, I think that is when the window should theoretically start to open. I think that's when the young arms are going to have gone through the system. That's where we're going to have, you know, hopefully Ryan Mountcastle is doing really well. Austin Hayes is doing well. Adley Rushman is 80% of the player that we think that he can can be. Uh, and then some of the other guys that we've drafted, you know, Gunnar Henderson, they can come up. So I'm going to say I would love to be a 500 team in two years. I think that's possible. And then start really competing in three. Now you started talking about young arms and uh, on the come up. Uh, AJ Hinch is in Detroit now. And uh, I've seen them like even they have, they have um, I can't ever pronounce his name on the first try. It's Torkelson. Torkelson. Oh yeah, no, yeah, right, Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. Oh man, I nailed it. I'm so proud of myself <laughs> for that one. Um, <laughs> they've had some. They've had like they have all of these interesting young players, and so does Baltimore. Um, do you think that we also see them? Uh, become contenders in the near future, especially considering I'm not saying that like AJ Hinch single-handedly is going to turn everything around, but they do have a lot of like young players. It's a fun team. Um, what, what kind of time window do they have uh, until they become like actual contenders? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. I, uh, I like watching them because I think they're another team that just has a lot of, you know, really exciting young arms. Um, obviously, I'm just always going to be a little bit, you know, geared more towards the, um, the, the, the pitching. And they have guys like, you know, Terry Skubel and Matt Manning, um, who I think could be really, really good, really, really soon. Um, I think they're also probably like two or three years away. I think, you know, hopefully Spencer Torkelson turns into uh, what they need him to be. And Akil Badu is another guy, I think, who they're really high on. So I think probably in two or three years, they can be competitive. The good thing about that team is they're in a league with uh, that. I don't think will actually be difficult to make up a lot of the lost, you know, time for like Kansas city is always going to be a little bit middling, you know, Cleveland shows a little bit of a reticence to maintain, you know, keep some of their stars around. Um, so I think that league is uh, the twins obviously are, are kind of the front runners, but you know, they're also a little bit old and they don't have a lot of great pitching depth behind them. So I think theoretically, yeah, once again, in probably two years, if all of these pitchers hit for Detroit, we could see them be a competitive team, which would be great. Oh, um, I would love to hear what about uh, so but my current running theory is is that JV does not like if by some miracle of Jesus I mean he's a supernatural human being JV is by some miracle of God you know maybe he returns at some point because he did get his um, Tommy John surgery early on enough to where it's like not out of the realm of possibility but um, say JV goes and joins AJ in Detroit and we do reach an agreement with um we reached like an, a one-year agreement with Green Key and McCullers. And so we're able to retain those two. And we have um, 
we just signed uh, Oda Rizzi. Um, what is your honest opinion on the state of the Astros uh, rotation and kind of what their future looks like? Because I think it looks pretty good. I mean, Paredes, you have you have just a stupid amount of good talent and like so much potential there. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? Like, I, I this is a conversation I've had with Nick recently. It was like when I was breaking down some of the guys who were in the back end of that rotation, like Jose Arquiti and, and Christian Javier and Framber Valdez before the injury. Uh, it was always something where I was like, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, are they as good as I think that they could be? Are they worse than I actually think? But then you guys, you're, Brent Strom is such a fantastic pitching coach, and Zach Greinke is such a fantastic guy to have in that rotation, just in terms of talking pitching, um, that I just never think they're going to be out of it. They just seem to have such a good way in that organization uh, when it comes to 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 pitching that I think they're always going to be competitive. I personally think, and I'm not even saying this because I'm on an Astros podcast, I am extremely excited for Lance McCullers this year. Um, I think that if he can stay healthy and he can get 170 innings out of him, that new cutter that he showcased last year, along with his, you know, uh, really great change up and top uh, knuckle curve. I just think he can be fantastic. Zach Greinke, while that velocity is starting to diminish, he's a wizard. Like it just doesn't make sense how, how good he's able to be. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, I think is a fantastic signing. Who's got a lot to prove. Um, and then, yeah, if, if JV comes back, I mean, he's just a machine. He He's truly just a machine. I believe in all the changes that he made when he came over to Houston. And, and I think that if we can see him return, you know, he's going to be old. It's going to be tough. But if he can show even a shadow of what he used to be, then yeah, that's, that's a good enough rotation uh, that you guys are going to be just, just fine because in the offense, you don't have anything to worry about Kyle Tucker. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve. I mean, like y- you really don't have much to worry about on that side of things. So if I'm an Astros fan, I'm still feeling pretty damn good coming into this year. Yeah, I had a huge argument. It was like, I should not have entertained this troll for so long. There's this dude on the uh, dude on the Yankees, and he's like, y'all got so much worse. And I was like, clearly you don't understand how baseball works, so that's not true. Even with the loss of George Springer, we are an extremely good team. We are a contender. And I know that uh, the Pakota rankings, you know, they put out their rankings, and uh, uh, they put – the Astros, I think, like, what, at, like, 93 or 96 wins, and I think they're well capable of 10 wins above that. Um, I'm predicting 103 wins. Uh, I have a few more questions before I let you go. Um, if someone were, you know, if someone wanted to come work for you or do similar things that you do, how would they do that? Kind of, like, what the advice or what direction would you uh, would you give them? And uh, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of programs do they need to make sure that they're proficient in, and what kind of programs do you use in your mm. work? Yeah. Great question. So I'll treat it like two different examples or, or one for MLB and one for pitcher list for pitcher list. Just learn as much as you can and engage with all of us on Twitter. Like we truly like, all we want to do is talk baseball and help people who have any questions about baseball. There is truly no dumb question to ask. There is no dumb question. I don't care if it's the most rudimentary thing ever. There are no dumb questions. So if someone's interested in writing for us or in working for us or in doing research for us, I mean, we have a big team. Even if someone wanted to create graphics for us, reach out. You know, if you're if you're an aspiring writer, write. 
write as much as possible and get feedback. There is, we have a mentorship program that I created last year that I'm more than happy to pair, um, you know, uh, anyone with with a mentor in the community. I think right now it's more important than ever to have you know women and people of color and people from the LGBTQ plus community, um, it, you know, getting into baseball. And we want to be able to help with any bridge that we can to help get them into the sport. So if you're you know if if that describes you and you're interested, talk to us. We 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 want to talk baseball for sure. And then for MLB, it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, it's so nuanced. I'm in the gaming department, so it's more like you just got to learn a lot about, you know, video game software like Unity and stuff. So that's like a very niche thing. Um but yeah, like for 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 PitcherList like use FanGraphs is a really incredible resource. Go to a FanGraphs page, go to a Baseball Savant page and just start to look around and when you have a question, reach out. It's as simple as that. Anyone who's a big enough baseball fan to go to those websites is going to fall down the rabbit hole themselves. They're going to say, oh, what's this? And what does this mean? And oh, what does that mean? And that's that's where you get hooked. And when you get stumped, that's when you can come to someone who's been doing stuff like this for uh, an embarrassing amount of time. And, and we're going to be, you know, happy to talk to you about that. There's a really big difference between like, hardcore baseball fans who can get really intense about their team and like kind of be like the Yankee fan that you were engaging with. And then people who study analytics, because I think more so that community is much, much more welcoming overall and much more excited about engaging in these conversations separate uh, of fandom. So yeah, I hope that's helpful advice. I, um, I, like I agree, I am a hardcore, and I like I'm openly admit that I'm a bit of a homer when it comes to the Ashes. I mean, it's and I say this all the time. It goes back, it goes back generations in my family. Um, so it's 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 genetic for me. Um, so if someone were to want to uh, like, what qualifications would they need for uh, to become part of that mentorship program you have? None. An interest in baseball. That's it. If they're right. interested in the mentorship program, they can totally apply whenever, and I'll make sure to match them uh, with a mentor as soon as I possibly can. So if I were like, hey, Alex, I want to get paired up with a mentor, you'd be like, all right, girl, here's the thing. Oh, 100%. I can, I would do that <laughs> right now. I, I would be like, who do you? Yeah, I mean, I can think of four or five mentors that would be great right now. Yeah, perfect. I know I'm like the genuinely interested and uh because i just I, I geek out on this game it's it's everything uh to me um I'm trying to think if i have anything else uh alex where can they find you on twitter and uh where can they find the pictures list where is that podcast available uh yeah so you can find me on twitter at alex fast eight uh the number eight like cal ripkin uh, and then at PitcherList is our main account. And then our podcast is everywhere you can listen to podcasts. It's on uh, Spotify. It's on iTunes. I think iTunes is our biggest one right now. And then we we frequently, I think we just launched 12 new podcasts. So there is a podcast for everything that you want to listen. If you want to listen to Dynasty stuff, if you want to listen to culture stuff about the culture of baseball, you want to listen to prospects, um, or if you want to listen just pitching or just hitting, uh, we should have a podcast for you. So yeah. Yeah, go check us out. If you check us out on Twitter, you'll be able to find all those resources. All right, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for tuning in uh, to another episode of Astros Baseball Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. 
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.